God amazing? Oh, isn't God amazing? Yes, cool. My name's Angie Campbell, if you don't know who I am, and uh, it's really good to be home. Steve and I have been away for a week in America, and uh, it's uh, really nice to be back and great to be with our amazing worship band. I think we should give them a... Yeah, let's give them a shout out. They are amazing. You know, I love Christmas. I really love Christmas. And uh, one thing that is amazing about Christmas is so fantastic is that it's so easy to invite people to come to church. It is the most easiest time of the year to invite people. And what I want to encourage you this morning, this isn't in my notes, but I really sense to say that we need to fill every single seat in this place. The team have prepared, the musicians, the speakers, the gifts, all the preparations have been made. But you guys have got a part to play. You need to come, but not only come, and bring a friend. I challenge you to invite at least one person to come. You might have to invite five people in order to bring one person to come to the services. I guarantee, if you don't bring a friend, you will sit here and you will think, why didn't I ask so-and-so? Because this is so good, and I know that they will have been blessed and encouraged, and God will have spoken to them. Is it okay for me to talk to you like this? Yes. yes, good. It is, because I know I need the provocation, so I know you probably need the provocation as well. This year, I'm pleased to say that there's a lady down my village, down my road, who's actually going to come. And I got to know her through her social media contacts. See, social media can be used for evangelism and for reaching out. And uh, we turned out that we were just down the road from each other. It was one of these group, you know, free things or advertising things. And we actually ended up that we actually lived two, 10 doors away from each other. So we met up and had coffee. And then we got to know her, and she can't believe what's going on in this place, and can't believe that this is church. Got to know her, wanted a babysitter, have an 18-year-old in my house. Megan's now become friends as the babysitter, and maybe she'll, hopefully she won't hear this, but, well, maybe she won't, I'm sure she won't mind. She told me that her father was a Baptist minister, and uh, a few months back, he came with his wife, with the little boy, to come to C3, C3. And this year, she's coming to the Christmas service. I believe that God's got his hand on her life, and he's wooing her and drawing her closer and closer to him to sort some stuff out, maybe from a past, but God is on her case. Invite. God is working in people's hearts and minds. Let's be brave and let's be bold this year to ask somebody to come. But Christmas is a wonderful time of the year, as the song says. You know, I love the anticipation of Christmas. I love all the thoughts of the planning and the preparation, the food that you have to buy, the gifts that you have to buy, um, the cards that you have to write, and the decorating of houses. Can I tell you, when we went to America, they do decorating of houses at Christmas on a whole new level. 
We went to one house that was absolutely huge. We got invited on the last night to go to a party, which was a fundraiser, and there were decorations everywhere. All their cushions had been removed, and all their cushions were now Christmas cushions. That's my ambition in life. I need to like, get rid of all my cushions and make them all red. That's my, that's my mission for next year. It was amazing. Every cupboard was full of decorations. It was absolutely beautiful. Everything was on such a bigger scale. So when we went to the church, we learned so many things, but actually it was encouraging that many of the things are the same issues, but they're just on a massive scale. We had a competition. They were decorating the building. We went to Willow Creek in Chicago for a week for a conference there, and they were decorating that church for Christmas. And we had a competition at the end of the week. We had to say how many Christmas trees had we seen around the campus. This was all indoors. How many Christmas trees had we actually seen? There were 50 Christmas trees just in the campus. 50. It was such a big campus. Some of them had groups of five together, but it was amazing. Anyway, Christmas and decorating, I love it. But, you know, I've discovered something about my daughter-in-law that she loves Christmas probably even more than me. And she starts buying and wrapping her presents in about September. She really starts getting organized. And when I say wrapping, she's got a real kind of thing about wrapping. And so last year, we had all these packages beautifully, neatly wrapped in black paper with nice pink, bright pink ribbons and bows on them. Me, I don't know about you, but me, I buy the wrapping paper. And that, when the kids were little, they got their own wrapping paper, three different types, so I didn't swap, mix the presents and get them in the wrong sack. They all had their own individual wrapping paper. And then I'll get to the point where I ran out. I'm like, oh no, what do I do now? No, I can't put Mickey Mouse paper in Josh's one because he's not gonna like that. So therefore, oh, I'm gonna have to go to shops and buy some more paper. And then you find that they've run out. And so you go back home and you think, oh, I'll just use the paper from last year. It'll be fine. It'll all be mismatched, but it's fine. Anybody else have that problem as well? Or is it just me who just ends up, you know, with a big ambition that we're going to have these wonderful wrapped presents all looking the same, coordinated, and they all end up a bit of a mishmash. It was quite ironic because last night Megan was wrapping her presents up and she said, I've run out of paper. And I was like, oh, it's not just me. I've passed it on in my jeans. <laughs> My mum always had a tradition in, her, in our house when we were growing up, where I'm one of four girls. And it seemed to be that every year, she'd buy us all presents, and then, then when we'd open them all, she'd go, oh, where's the, oh, I'm sure I bought one more present. I'm sure I've hidden it somewhere safely. Oh, I definitely bought you something else. Then in about June each year, you know, we'd go, oh, you know that present that I bought you for Christmas? Well, I found it, you know, I hid it in a cupboard and it was somewhere really safe. And she's like, oh, I'm really sorry. Every year we think, which sister is it going to be this year that didn't actually get the present? But, you know, for me, I didn't really mind getting the presents throughout the year because I actually like getting presents any time of the year. But Christmas is special, isn't it? It is a special time of the year. I mean, Jesus isn't just for Christmas but it is at Christmas that we consider, we stop, and we think about Jesus coming to earth again. You know, it is a real mystery around Christmas, a real mystery about Jesus' birth. We, we think about a natural birth, and it's a real sense of awe when, we have, when there's a baby and a new baby around. I'm sure Pete and Lizzie, our worship pastor, are having that sense of awe right now. They've had a brand new baby. And it's this sense of 
you know, we're at the source of life somehow. I know I felt like I'm, I know I'm pregnant, I know I'm having a baby, but it wasn't until that baby was born you think, we actually had a baby. It's like you can explain it biologically, you can explain it ge genetically, but you can't explain the mystery that you're in some way touching the source of life and that our origins of life is more than ourselves and that it's greater than ourselves. And you know, the mystery around Jesus' birth is what we look at every year and it has a real sense of awe around it. We can never fully get our minds around Jesus being the Son of God. The promise to us, he came to earth as a baby with a message of hope and a hope that changed the world. Jesus as a baby, unbelievably vulnerable, unbelievably fragile, unbelievably dependent on the people around them. You know, I wonder sometimes, is that Jesus telling us we at times feel vulnerable? We at times feel really weak, we feel really dependent on the people around us. But Jesus has been there. He put himself in that situation. He put himself in that vulnerable, frail state. Came on the earth as a baby. You know, I love the timing of Jesus' birth and the anticipation around it. Often it's the anticipation that we love the most about the Christmas time. You see, Jesus' birth was in a time of history that God designed and God had a purpose for. In the Old Testament, there had been many, at the close of the chapter of the Old Testament, of that season and that period of history, there had been many prophetic words and prophets that had talked on God's behalf and brought a message to the people. But you know, for 400 years, there was silence. There was nothing that came as a prophetic voice. There was nothing of God's voice that came for 400 years. That's a long time. When you think about it, many generations will have come and gone in a period of 400 years. That means the stories that will have been passed on by word to mouth are probably stopped by then, 400 years later. It's quite a long time. And it's incredible to think that God broke the silence by the announcement of two new babies in the world. Two? Yeah, two new babies. I believe that new birth is like God's way of saying that the world is going to carry on. So he broke his silence by announcements to say that there will be a future. There is a plan and God is going to bring something into the future. That time of silence may have felt like God was doing nothing, but you know, God had a plan. And I want to encourage us this morning, at times you may feel that heaven is silent, that things, God, you can't hear God's voice. You're wondering where God's gone right now. But I want to encourage you that God had a plan. God had a purpose. God had a timing. And he was looking on the earth and seeing who would work with him. Who's going to be part of the plan? Who's going to actually come with him on this course that he destined for, people, for humanity? Who was going to be with him? And when he broke that silence, the first 
baby that he announced, it's not in your notes, but I'm going to mention it here, is actually in Luke 4. It says, Then the angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. Zechariah was a priest in the temple, and he prayed for a baby, for a child. And you know when he, that angel came, the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. What did the angel say? Do not be afraid. The announcement of John that was before Jesus' birth was going to declare Jesus' coming was the predecessor preparing the way for Jesus. That was the first declaration, the first announcement that there was going to be a new birth, something new was happening in the earth. But the way the angel came said, do not be afraid. What about the second announcement? God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at these words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. From the Old Testament to the New Testament, God broke in, one for a baby that was longed for, the other for a baby that was a shock, that was a real surprise. But both were announced with the words, Do not be afraid. Then we come to the announcement of Jesus' birth. And this is in your notes now. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. You say that with me? Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. He will be a, this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth. Peace to those on whom his favor rests. Rather than fear, Jesus was going to bring peace. Jesus is a bringer of peace. His birth was announced, not in fear, do not be afraid, but I bring uh, to earth peace. Uh, Jesus is a bringer of peace. You know, even 800 years earlier than Jesus' birth, there was prophetic voice that went out from the prophet Isaiah. And it says in Isaiah, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. That means the authority will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of the greatness 
of his government and peace, there will be no end. Peace was the hallmark of Jesus' ministry. Peace was what he was brought into. Peace was what he was declaring over the people. Jesus walked in peace. He declared peace and he pronounced peace in many different situations. And I'm going to look at two occasions and three aspects of Jesus' peace with you this morning. The first one is peace in times of doubt. And I kind of, kind of assume you know, and kind of you would have heard from the songs that we sang, I'm talking about Jesus' birth, but a bit of a spoiler alert, he did actually die and was hung on a cross and Many of you will know that, but I don't want to kind of like, I'm racing to the end of the story when I've only just got to the beginning and talk about Jesus' birth. But right at the end, when Jesus did die, and even post his death and his resurrection, he appeared to the disciple a number of times. And he appeared to the disciples in, when they were in the upper room, when they were all together, and they're wondering, what on earth has gone on? What has been happening? Jesus that came to earth has died, and what's going to happen now? And it says in this passage, on the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side, and the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. But Thomas said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. See a bit of a theme going on here? Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here, see my hands, reach out your hand and put it in my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. He was talking about you and he was talking about me. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Thomas was full of doubt. Unless I see, I'm not going to believe. I think he would have been so full of disappointment. So full of feeling let down. Of, I thought he was the one. I thought he was who he said he was. Now what's going to happen? I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know what life is going to be like now. I don't know what the world is going to be like now. I thought he'd got it all sorted. I thought he'd come to save everyone. I thought he was the one. But I cannot believe unless I see with my own eyes. You know, Jesus was so gracious. He didn't come and tell Thomas off. 
He didn't come on and say, oh, you unbelieving so-and-so, I told you I was going to be back, didn't I? I told you the plan, weren't you listening? Or come in and kick him up the backside and say, have you not been listening? Have you not been hearing with what I've been saying? Jesus was not cross with him. Jesus didn't come in and kind of slate him in any way. His pronouncement was, peace be with you. Peace be with you. You know, he said to Thomas, you want to see with your own eyes, but don't just look, touch and feel. Touch and feel the scars, what I, I shed for you, my blood for you, the scars that I carried for you. You know, I believe today that we might be in that place at times where we feel that we really doubt, that we can't kind of push through in our faith and we carry doubts in our heart. But you know, Jesus doesn't say to you, you should know better by now. You've had a, been a Christian for a long time. You've been listening to the preaching for a long while now. You should be doing better than this. Jesus says, peace be unto you. Peace be unto you. He is who he says he is. He even spoke about us, said, you won't see with your physical eyes, but you will know with your spiritual eyes and your spiritual heart that I am who I say that I am. We don't need to see the physical scars, but we need to know that those scars are as relevant for us today as they were for Thomas in that day when he saw them. Those scars, because those scars mean that we can be saved. Those scars that Jesus bore for us on that cross means that we can experience the peace of Jesus. Those scars are as relevant for us today. Even though we might not see them with our natural eyes, we see them with our spiritual eyes because we see them with eyes of faith. And faith is not about certainty. Faith is about believing. Faith is understanding what God has said and trusting him at his word. Faith is not a, a, a certainty because if it was certainty, it wouldn't have any faith element in it. You know, we don't have to feel faith in order to have faith. If you've figured the whole world out and you've figured everything out, then you're not walking in faith anymore. You're not walking in, in, that, in that place because we need to stretch ourselves in order to walk in faith. We need to believe to something new. We need to believe something beyond where we are right now. We need that faith gap, as Rhiannon talked about a few months back. We need a faith gap. I need to stretch into that faith gap. If we think that we're not looking for God for anything new, then we'll just become complacent. We'll become comfortable. You know, as a church, we've called three days of fasting. And I hate the idea of missing food for three days. What were we thinking? We discussed it as a team. We thought, yeah, great idea. Oh, no, it's an awful idea. That means I can't eat food for three days. I think I've managed a day before now. I haven't ever done a three-day fast fully. It's a crazy idea, but it's an awesome idea because actually it causes us to fall on lean on Jesus, to ask him for something new, to push us into a whole new dynamic personally and corporately. 
You know, I know that we're in a whole new season. I know personally for us in our, our ministry, what God's got for us, he's got us in a whole new season. We're going to be empty nesters in January. That's a whole new season in itself. Our church here, it's growing and expanding and it's influencing and it's doing all sorts of crazy things that we get surprised by. And people come up to us and say things about, we've heard what's going on. And people on a Friday there, the, some of the agencies are saying, you have a reputation here in the city for what you're doing. Our reputation as a place that does good is growing here in this city. And it's incredible. But we need to press in to see what God has got for us in the future. You know, we can choose to live in a place of doubt. Or we can choose to actually know that we can stretch our faith and believe God and believe Jesus and believe in those nailed scar hands and feet that he suffered for me and that's why he came. I believe the evidence for us to help us and trust us in that faith is the peace of Jesus. Jesus gives us peace and that's evidence in our heart that Jesus is at work with us and in us. He doesn't ever run out of peace. He said that the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. It's inexhaustible. It's, not gonna, it's, it's infinite. It's not going to run out. And so that you don't have to worry about the fact, well, is there enough for me? Yeah. Is there enough peace for me? Has Jesus got some for me? But, you know, we can see that in the way he handled his disciples. The second incident that I'm going to highlight is peace in times of crisis. And the passage there. It was when the disciples were on the Sea of Galilee and there was a storm that brewed in the, in the Sea of Galilee. And Jesus was in the boat with them and he was actually asleep in the back of the boat. And he was with them in the storm, but he was asleep. And the disciples woke him up and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? So he got up, rebuked the wind and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. He brought peace. Then the wind died down and it was completely calm. Don't you care? You know, I believe that's the biggest cry of our hearts when things go wrong, when life is tough. We look and we shout and we say, Don't you care? Don't you know? Look at the storm around. Can't you see what's happening? Can't you see the circumstances I'm in? Can't you see how tough it is with my finances? Can't you see how tough it is working and relating with these people? Can you not see what's happened in my marriage? Can you not see what's happening in my children? Don't you care? That's often our response to Jesus. And we say, you don't care about me. Because if you did care, you wouldn't let me live in so much pain. But you know, Jesus was strong enough to calm the situation down. And in it, he said, trust me. Trust me. I'm in control. Peace that said, I've got, the, I've got your back. I've got your back. It's going to be okay. I know what the outcomes are. 
You don't have to worry about them. You can trust me. I've got this. Even when we feel like we're drowning at times, Jesus cares for us. And Jesus wants us to find a place of peace, even in times of crisis, when we fail that things are just out of control. There are many storms in life, and life throws us many different storms, and we all have to negotiate different storms in life, whatever it may be. For me, recently, there was a, a storm, which I often find, for me, is internal. It's often not external, but it's what goes on inside me that actually I wrestle with. Before I went away, something happened to me that really unnerved me. It really upset me. And first I got indignant, and then angry, and then defensive, and then maybe hurt, because I felt so misunderstood. And then the self-doubt kicks in. Why me? Why did that happen to me? Maybe, maybe. And you start thinking negative about yourself. Have you ever heard those voices? Am I the only one? No. We all hear them and we battle with them on the inside. And then when I was away, I found myself in a place where I could hear God's voice. And he reassured me that he loves me and that he is with me and that he's working for my good. The Bible says all things work together for good for those that love God and are called according to his purpose. And if he is for me, who can be against me? Nothing can separate me from the love of God. No weapon formed against me will prosper. But you know, there's a place, even in the midst of the storm, whether it's a physical storm or whether it's an internal storm, there is a place where we can find a place of peace in the midst of that storm. I'm not going to show you a short DVD clip where science even shows us and demonstrates there is a place of peace even in the midst of a storm. There is a place in the center of every storm where there is a place of peace. I'm going to read you a story about a guy named Horatio Spafford. He was a lawyer in Chicago in the 1870s. At that time, the great fire of Chicago broke out and it ruined him financially. He and his wife, Anna, then worked for two years with a homeless in Chicago before being invited to go to Europe to visit friends. At the last minute, he was detained on business, but his wife and his four children went ahead on the ship. On the voyage, their ship was hit by a tanker and nearly everyone perished. His four daughters were drowned. By some miracle, his wife survived and was found floating on some debris. She continued to Europe. Anna felt strongly that she'd been saved for a purpose, and she sent Horatio a telegram saying, saved alone. He then followed on to be with her, and partway across the Atlantic Ocean, the captain of his ship called him into his cabin and told him this was the place where his daughters perished. The grave was three miles down on the seabed. Horatio penned the words to the hymn from which our closing song is based upon. I'm going to ask the musicians to come. You see, we're going to declare this song together. 
because Colossians 3 also encourages and says, we can have peace for the journey. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body, you were called to peace and be thankful. Jesus came to this earth vulnerable, frail, dependent, came as the Prince of Peace. When he came, he said, peace be with you. Peace be with you. Do not be afraid. Peace be with you. And the thing is about our faith is it's not something that we have to grasp at or we have to grab, but it's something that we have to receive. It says, let the peace of Christ be amongst rule in your hearts. Let the peace of Christ. So I want us to stand. I want a song to minister to us. And as the song, as we feel able to join in, particularly with the chorus, that let the peace of Christ minister to us this morning, whatever circumstance you're finding yourself in.